Hey, before I start the episode, I just want to take a moment and thank all of my listeners, my fans that have been with me for the last four years, the A-Team. Each year, the podcast receives more listens, and the reason for that isn't about me, but it's truly about those who are sharing it out to their colleagues and to their friends. And I just want to thank you so much for sharing that in multiple ways, if that's through social media, word of mouth, through email, with your staff. I just want to thank you. But I also want to challenge you to do a couple more things for me. If you wouldn't mind hitting the subscribe or follow button on whatever podcast application you are listening on, that's extremely helpful as far as the rankings of the podcast. But then also sharing a review. Looking at the Apple Podcast application, there's only 41 reviews right now for the Aspire to Lead podcast. And I definitely want to get that number higher. So um, what I'm going to do is each month I'm going to select one person that has provided a review and provide them with a free Aspire to Lead book. So make sure that you are providing your social media handle in the review and make sure you're following me on Twitter or Instagram at Joshua double underscore stampers so I can DM the winner. Now let's get a chance to learn a little bit more from Lindsay Lyons, a fantastic educator and leader, and I can't wait for you to learn from her insight. Welcome back, everyone, to Aspire to Lead, where we will be discussing the visions, inspirations, and experiences from top educational leaders. My name is Joshua Stamper, and you can connect with me on Twitter or on Instagram at Joshua double underscore Stamper. Aspire listeners, I am so excited for this conversation because I have not only a fantastic educator, but a fantastic person. Lindsay Lyons is with me, and she is a part of the Teach Better Podcast Network. I'm so happy that she's a part of our team, our family, and you get a chance to learn a little bit, not only about her, but all of the fantastic things that she does across this country and with school districts. Lindsay, thank you so much for being on the Aspire to Lead podcast. Oh my gosh, Josh, thank you so much for having me. It is my pleasure to be here. Yeah, so we've been connected for a little while. I am always so impressed every time I speak with you, and I'm so excited that folks get to learn about the services and things that you provide educators around this country. So, Lindsay, if you wouldn't mind just sharing a little bit about yourself and what you do in education. Absolutely. So I call myself an educational justice coach because I just feel like when I work for myself, I can give myself my own title. (laughs) And I think that really sums up kind of what I'm all about. So my ultimate goal is to help educators and really district-wide help educators create feminist, anti-racist curricula that challenges, affirms, and inspires all students. And ultimately, I want to do these really cool curriculum design sprints with as many departments as possible where you're designing a feminist anti-racist curricula in two days. Like that, that is um, one whole unit all the way to the lesson level. Let's get into it and get excited and just experience that joy of like, yeah, this is why I got into teaching. Lindsay, I want to learn about this process because I'll be honest, as a teacher, as an administrator, the curriculum was already set or pretty much put together for me or my teachers. And it was, of course, the teachers had the autonomy to to make adjustments within that curriculum. But for the most part, it was pretty laid out as far as the units and the whole year, really. So, you know, when you're coming in and working with districts, I would love to learn a little bit about that process of helping design curriculum. Absolutely. So I have really started thinking about the structures and processes in place where a district has come to me and said, hey, I want to do this thing. I want those units. I want the feminist anti-racist curriculum. I want all the things right now. Let's do it. 
And I actually have found that people have to kind of reach this place where they're ready to do that for it to go well. And I've been playing around with like, what are those stages that we kind of go through? And so I've broken those down into what I think is four stages, but I'm super happy to like hear people's feedback on this because it is totally a work in progress. But I think the first one is this like mindset piece. And so the mindset around, I can partner with students. Like I, I truly see students as, we're, we're in this together. Like their ideas are great and they're going to get us further together. And at the same time that we're not um, kind of coddling. So I, I was in special education. And so I think a lot of times we try to over scaffold and over support. And so there's this balance of like partnering with seeing the value of students ideas and also being able to push and challenge in an appropriate level. And then that's kind of stage one. So mindset, then we get into the pedagogy. So if students, if the first time that students are kind of experiencing an opportunity to share their literal voice in class is we're going to dive into this really hot topic of current events, kids are going to just be like, wait, what you want me to speak now about this really intense thing? Like I've never been allowed to speak in this way before. So I think it's really important that after you get the mindset, you just start creating more and more opportunities for students to have this voice in class. And so this is kind of like the pedagogy and amplifying voice phase. So then from there, I think when we think about what we want students to be able to do, I mentioned, I think it's really important that our curriculum inspires students to create. And I would even say too, when we're creating for justice and kind of this justice and equity lens, that we're creating in a way that enables students to be activists, right? And activists in the sense that they get to find what they're passionate about and they get to say, hey, here's a solution. Here's a creative solution that maybe adults are honestly not thinking about. And I'm going to try to put this into practice as much as possible with an authentic product that has a meaningful, authentic audience. And so there's this moment where students are like, oh, I can impact the world or at least my local community. So cool. And I could do that in class. Awesome. And so once we've kind of built these layers of voice and partnership, then we get to the point where we're designing in curriculum bootcamp spaces with teams. Okay. Now, what does it look like to design a unit start to finish where all of our students say multiple identities, right? Cause we all hold multiple identities. They're not only included, but not, they're not included in a tokenistic way. They're designed from the ground up with those identities in mind. And they're truly like affirmed, like students feel a sense of belonging and affirmation that I feel psychologically safe in this space. I'm excited to bring this part of me to class. I don't feel like I have to leave it at home. I don't feel like my family members, when they come into the school space, are being othered or uh, treated as less than because of all of these pieces. Um, and that my experiences are valued as well. And so I think those are kind of the four stages. I love it. And I've thankfully had a chance to see firsthand students, you know, have a voice, be able to, you know, share on really difficult topics and you're right. Like they don't know what to do at first because like, am I allowed to be honest and share what is on my mind? And it's such a powerful thing with the students. I'm thinking as an administrator though, the mindset of potentially the older people, the, the staff members and teachers that are involved. So when you are working with a school district or a campus, what are some hurdles when you're just in that first step of the mindset? Absolutely. So there's this, I think often we run into this fear. Mm -hmm. I think usually it's based in fear that if I give up control, right? Because I think about all of our teacher training that we had in like teacher school and it's very much like, don't smile till December and like never let your guard down and you are the authority. So yeah, exactly. Like it is very intense, right? So I think 
with that in mind, people are like, well, what else does it even look like? Right. So there's this fear of like, I can't possibly let go of control because chaos would ensue. And that's what I've been told my whole career. And that's what I've abided by my whole career. So to be able to look back on a career where that's what you did and then finally being open to the idea and, and seeing what's possible of something else. I think adaptive leadership scholars call this like uh, resistance as loss. And I think that's really powerful, right? There's this kind of loss of time of identity as a good teacher of all these things. And there's just kind of this feeling of loss. And I, I've found the most successful kind of way to meet that is with a recognition first off of that loss and a recognition that this is an emotion, like a high emotion, a conversation, change, shift. And ultimately what, what I think is possible is showing all of that kind of, who is it? Mesero talks about like this disorienting dilemma that we need to show, right? So we need to create kind of the discomfort and, and dissatisfaction with how things are going. And sometimes teachers are able to connect that without much support. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we got to show it to them, sure. right? So something's not working in class. Something's not working in this culture that we've created in this classroom or this school. What is it? And if we can drill down into that piece and really get at the root of it, there's kind of this aha moment of like, other ways are possible. I can try this. It doesn't mean I was a bad teacher before. It means I'm growing as a human and as a professional. And if that makes my life easier to partner with students versus to like keep butting heads, yeah, it's worth a try. And that's often where we have that breakthrough. I love it. And I know that you're supporting schools in, in a little bit different way with difficult conversations by providing an outlet for high emotion topics to be actually spoken and you give free workshops. So I know that a lot of folks right now across the country, probably across the world really, are looking at these different topics that you've already spoken about, you know, as far as, you know, anti-racist, equity, feminism. I mean, all of these are so important and our students really want to discuss this. You know, for those who are looking for potentially some more support, what are you offering with these free workshops? Yeah. So thank you so much for asking this question, because I think these are honestly the most requested mm -hmm. topics. Like people are just like, tell me the things I want to know how to approach this. Most people I talk to are saying we don't want to avoid it because we know avoiding it is not great. Sure. But there are some mindset shifts, I think, especially as leaders, that we need to help teachers kind of get through to that point. So again, I think mindset is first there. Um, and so that's kind of what I, in terms of free workshop offerings, look out for those. Those are definitely coming. I've decided that this is something I just want people to be able to do and like, they don't need to pay me for it. So we're going to have a ton of free virtual workshops, but I think in terms of the mindset to tackle that first, we want to tackle the concept that this is not for me or my class or my grade level, or even as leaders, this is not for me as a, as a leader, this is something teachers do. So I want to problematize all those things, right? I think about like the overturning of Roe v. Wade, for example, like we can talk about bodily autonomy, which is the through line in kindergarten, right? right? When another kid doesn't want to be hugged, we don't hug them. The end, like yeah. we can totally have that conversation. And also when we're thinking from a leader lens, staff conversations, facilitating conversations about current events with staff has tremendous value for staff culture and also for staff to be able to facilitate those conversations with students, right? So there's so much value in terms of just being able to have that mindset that like we need to do this. And the reality is that if we don't do it with our students, if we don't have that space that we've already created, that is, you know, they perceive psychological safety when they're there, they have this, this space wherein facts actually do matter. Like we're an education institution. We're not kind of debating these researchers call them like settled issues. Like these things that are factually like based in fact, 
because if they don't talk about it in school, they're talking about it other places. Yeah. I've seen like these crazy stories of uh, white teenage boys who are radicalized online on YouTube because they have no other space to talk about race in a generative way. Like that's bananas yep. to me. But to answer your questions, I think in those workshops, we really want to get at like, you know, what do we do foundationally? How do we create that atmosphere that we can generatively talk about this and not devolve into um, anything offensive, anything that harms the dignity of other students? So how do we create that culture as kind of foundation? And then how do we create a driving question that frames the conversation in a way that doesn't put dignity up for debate? So for example, I have literally heard teachers say things like, we're going to talk about the question and put that up for debate in terms of student conversation should, um, and this was years ago, but should same-sex marriage be legal? That shouldn't be a question we debate, right? Like that is a that is a right that people have and we shouldn't be debating that right. It puts their dignity and their access to rights up for debate, yep. right? No, we should be agreeing that justice is the goal and how we get there like is, is kind of a, a policy debate, right? Like that's how, how we look at that and approach that totally debatable, but not like the the dignity of a, a group of people. And so I think that's a really important piece too. Um, and then we can also talk about, you know, where do we get resources to support the factual basis that we're grounding this conversation on? Well, Lindsay, I want to go back to something you said, because I can I can yeah. imagine myself in a staff meeting, several staff meetings, you know, over the last couple of years, obviously, there's a lot of topics that have come to the forefront due to things going around in the country, right? And I could just see the uncomfortableness of my, my staff, my teachers, when they're trying to figure out how to navigate this in the class. Do I address it? Do I not? And I think as a leader, it's it's really important that we have to lay that out and make sure that they have the tools in their toolbox to do such a thing. So I also know that you have another resource, uh, your curriculum boot camp. So is that something that you also provide to leaders to help them through you know the navigation of, of difficult conversations? Yeah, such a good question. So I'm basically building out the bonus section of that to include things like this workshop and, and all of that. But mm -hmm. the curriculum bootcamp basically takes you start to finish through like, how do I actually design a unit that might be framed around a current event or an injustice topic? And how do I basically go from all the way backwards designing from my priority standards to what's the project going to be co-creating it with students? So I think that's like where the educational gold is, right? Yeah. Like how do we design ahead of time, but in a flexible enough way that students, because they're going to change period to period, year to year, can come in and partner with you and find their niche and say, yeah, this is the path I want to go down. And this is what my final product is going to look like. And that might not be the same format as anyone else is doing, but how do I basically design a unit like that that gets me those results? So curriculum bootcamp is pretty teacher facing, but I invite leaders and teachers into what I what I'm calling like coaching intensives. They're like three hour stretches because teachers planning times vary, leaders availability varies a couple times a year. That's part of an online course. That's like, Hey, you can come in. You're part of the course. You get all the content and you get coaching from me where you just drop in, get that coaching. And we outline a unit in like 30 minutes. Or I also do a department level thing for, for districts where it's like, all right, give me, for example, Framingham, Massachusetts, right down the road from me. And they sent their whole U S history department. And we spent a couple of days just creating two years of curriculum wow. that was just like, yeah, like going, going through and saying like, what are the essential questions? What are the key standards? How do we line all this stuff? What are the resources? What are the lesson level details? So there's kind of degrees of engagement there that folks can get into. 
This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbetter.com slash podcast. Now let's get back to the episode. You're providing so much, and I also know the way that we've connected is through your podcast. You have a fantastic podcast that you have time for teachership, which is on the Teach Better Podcast Network, and I'm just so happy that you're joining the the team and the podcast network. And if you wouldn't mind, I love hearing about how podcasts are created, where did it come from? And of course, you know, what is the type of content that you're producing for people to come and listen? Oh my gosh. Yes. So it started actually as a blog and I was like, I love writing. And then, and then alongside doing that, I was kind of working on my dissertation and I decided I actually don't like writing anymore after writing a 300 page. (laughs) I get it. And so I was like, I think audio is more my medium and I get to like work with people that way. So that is kind of how the idea was born. Time for teachership as a name. Interestingly enough, I was brainstorming ideas for titles and I was like, oh, that's a kind of cool fusion of teacher like teachering and leadership and how cool that we could use those things. And I Googled it to see if it was something anyone had kind of coined before. And I realized that just the year before I thought of it, someone had done a paper, an academic article on this, and they had defined it as the intersection of teaching and leadership and how instructional leaders need to be at, in and out of classrooms constantly to stay connected to the instruction. And teachers need to have this like teacher leadership role that they can take on. And I was like, yes, that's the thing. <laughs> so that has been really fun to kind of see the evolution of it. Historically, it's been really anything about teaching and leading for justice. This year, we're really focused in, in this season on just focused on uh, curriculum development and what does that process look like? So I'm interviewing a lot of like curriculum directors. Dr. Goldie Muhammad just said she's going to be on my podcast, which is like dream come true <laughs> status. That's awesome. So she'll be on this season. And and it's really hyper-focused on that piece because I think that's where a lot of the good stuff happens. Very cool. So yeah, go over to teachbetter.com slash podcast. You'll find her podcast, many more, but time for teachership. You got to tune in. Lindsay does such a fantastic job with the podcast. And like she said, she's got some pretty cool guests coming up. So Lindsay, I also know that you provide so many additional free resources. And if someone's coming onto your website, I know that you actually have a resource quiz for them. So what is that all about? Yeah. So as I described the kind of four stages, sometimes leaders don't quite know which stage they fit into. And so I have a quiz that'll take you less than four minutes. It'll provide you a ton of focus. And at the end of the quiz, it's like, here's the stage you're in. And there's like 10 resources for you, most of them free that are like, here's this podcast episode. Give this teacher this resource. If you're struggling with this problem as a leader, here's this thing that you might want to do. And here's a template for you. So there's a ton of stuff. It's honestly like the biggest high value free resource I have. So I can't, I I can't express enough how much you should grab it. Um, But it's at bit.ly slash curriculum quiz. And of course, I'll have the link in the show notes for everyone. So make sure you jump on that. And again, it's a free quiz and you get to see where you align with what Lindsay's talking about as far as the curriculum piece. And Lindsay, I always love asking my guests about aspiring leadership. Of course, you're going to give a piece of advice. You know, what can they do next week or next month to help them in their leadership journey? Oh my gosh, this is such a hard question, but I think what it comes down to is figure out a way that you can further youth adult partnership. You know, this idea of like partnering with students, Michael Fielding calls it radical collegiality, which I just love this idea of seeing students as colleagues, any way you can do that, that is the biggest bang for your buck, the way that you're going to further 
any sort of student engagement, student academic achievement, and ultimate like school and district outcomes. Okay, I want to expand on that a little bit, Lindsay, because I love like what you're talking about as far as the partnership with students. And, you know, for someone that may be listening and, and they don't even know what that looks like, you know, you've talked on several occasions about the partnership and bringing students into this process. So, you know, will you just kind of give a scenario or a framework of how students can be a part of the curriculum construction? Absolutely. I will try to condense this because I have so much to say, but I will say, <laughs> let's say, for example, I'll do a couple roles because as you said, you have an expansive audience. If you are a uh, primary school teacher, that might look like saying, okay, class, it's the start of the year. I'm curious to know after the first few weeks of school, how might we better create a space for learning? And so ask students to help you design literally the physical layout of the class, Um, you know, and then ask them, you know, what activities have you enjoyed so far in this school year? What what should we do more of, right? You're starting to co-create not only the class environment, but the pedagogy as well. Um, Of course, you could do that at at high school level as well. I just like to indicate that you can also do it even with kindergartners, right? And then if you're you're a leader, I think at the policy level, so I, I to a lot of work. And actually my, my scholarly research is in the field of student voice from a, from a school and district perspective. How do we actually get student leaders? So all students I perceive as leaders, you know, how do we invite them into formalized leadership roles where they're actually on committees? So consider asking them onto your leadership committee, your PD committee, could they lead a PD? Because students are experts in a lot of things about student learning. You know, think about ways that you might invite students into a conversation about a variety of topics and also ask them to take on if they're willing. We don't want to like push our jobs onto students, but ask them to take on some responsibility for facilitating a conversation about a certain topic or sharing some insights at a PD. I think those are concrete ways, depending on the role that you have, that could be scaled up or down. No, I love it. We actually did that the last couple of years where we invited our students onto our committees and it was so powerful to hear their perspective. And um, they actually also presented the student data as far as there's a kind of like a, a survey that they have to take. And, you know, they were able to provide the data to our staff and then also kind of explain, okay, this is why the data is showing this. And this, this is why the students are responding. And it's one thing to look on a piece of paper and look at the data. It's another to have a student who may be in your class telling you why something needs to change and potentially have a solution for that. So if anyone is not currently having students on their committees, or like you said, at a PD or a staff meeting, I would highly recommend that. I would say even if I can just share a quick story, Yeah, even the teachers who are a little resistant to student voice that I've worked with as colleagues, one time we brought students into a PD just to, I think exactly like what you said, we looked at some data and then we brainstormed solutions and did kind of like this gallery walk, kind of we're writing a chart paper thing, very informal, no one's kind of presenting, more of a brainstorming. They walked out, those teachers who were resistant walked out of there being like, that was the best staff meeting. And the students walked out being like, we want to do this next week. So I think there's so much value there. For sure. Yeah, I, w- I would 100% agree. That was definitely how that went the first time, which made us do it the second time because it was so powerful and um, the staff already knew it was, it was coming and it was happening and they definitely invited it. So um, I love what you're talking about, Lindsay, as far as the partnership with students and, and all campuses should be doing that. So Lindsay, I know people are listening and, and are going to want to connect with you in some way. So how might they find out about your resources, how they can bring you in to do curriculum design or just connect with you on social media. Awesome. Thank you so much for asking. 
lindsaybethlyons.com is my website. So there's a ton of stuff there, a ton of free resources. The podcast has kind of a blog space there as well. All of the free resources. So every episode we have in the podcast has a free resource. Those are all linked there on the website. Um, LinkedIn, I'm at Lindsay Beth Lyons and then Twitter, Lindsay B Lyons, because Twitter doesn't let you have that many spaces for your, your username. So any of those places and then time for a teachership podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Awesome. So as usual, I'll have all of those links in the show notes. So make sure that you're clicking on that, connecting with Lindsay, because she is one of the most brilliant educators that I know. And I think you should make sure that you're connecting in some possible way, whatever your favorite platform is. And Lindsay, I am so excited about the future of your business, of what you're doing in education, because I think all of these things that you're working with are so important. It's vital for our students to have that voice and to be able to partner with schools. And um, I'm so excited to, to see what comes. So thank you so much for being on the Inspired to Lead podcast. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a really fun conversation, Josh.